you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with Varican Capital Management, Inc. Colin and Josh here, Bare Naked Money coming at you. Today, we're talking about all the reasons you should sell every loser in your portfolio and add it somewhere else. Save those taxes, right, Colin? Yeah, see, Josh, you're wondering what we're going to argue about. Very good job of setting up the argument. So we have entered that time of year, as we sit here in late November, where you're starting to hear phrases like tax loss selling, tax harvesting, and all these other phrases are being thrown around. They all sound really compelling, don't they, Josh? Yeah, it's it's funny because it's the, the time of the year when we harvest not only our crops, but I guess our tax losses as well. <laughs> is tax loss selling really a thing? Or is it just another one of these things that people throw out there that they really think is important and it's really not all that important? So let's see if we can put it in its place where it belongs, where it's useful, but not destructive. So Josh, let's see, the lead investment attitude for the firm. You know, when you're looking at making an investment decision, how far down on the total pool would you put the, the tax, the taxable outcome of the given position when you're trying to make a decision? Do, have you ever looked at something and saying, I'm just going to sell that because it's a tax loss. It's the only reason I'm going to sell it. Have, oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Have we ever thought that? I I would say the answer is probably no to that. I think what you're you're what you're kind of asking is should tax be priority number one when building a portfolio? Uh, if I can just rephrase the question a little bit, and I would say absolutely not. Tax a, a tax decision should not be the number one decision when putting together a proper investment portfolio. Well, and I, and I think that's good. I absolutely agree with that. But it's part of it is managing where does it fall in the realm of things you're considering. So, I mean, one thing for me that the, the time, end of the end of the year tax conversation, what it has done for me in the past is you kind of review you know, all of your positions, say, hmm, this one's underperformed. It's in a lost position and it's underperformed is in the, the benchmark we're holding it to and, you know, Cause you go back and say, well, all right, let's take a look at it. Cause if we were going to think about selling something, this might be a better time to do it rather than a month from now. So sometimes it draws your attention to something that you might not have been paying entirely close attention to. And maybe you're on the fence as to whether you want to get out of a position because to do more of a deep dive to decide, all right, am I really in love with this? Do I think it's, though I still think it's a good investment. So I, I think that's a positive thing that the whole thinking about tax losses can sometimes highlight something and make you pay attention to things that maybe you were putting off or wasn't having enough priority for you to look at before. So in my mind, that's positive. Yeah, in a, in a perfect world, though, to push back on that, you should be doing this all the time anyway. Anybody yeah. that's looking at a portfolio should be should be looking at all the constituents in their portfolio to decide whether it makes sense to be there just on a, on a pure outlook basis, ignoring tax, irrelevant of tax on an ongoing basis anyway. So you could, if you haven't done that, is this a good time to revisit it? Absolutely. But try to do that no matter what. Absolutely. And, and I'll give you that. We have ended up on the horns of a dilemma where you're kind of 50-50 on something and you're not entirely sure 
at, at that point, Quita lost actually sat through the conversation, maybe like it's one of the last, one of the last things you look at to say, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do it. Maybe it'll cost time, but it's, it's really in the margins. To your point, yes, you should have up-to-date opinions and be comfortable with everything that's in the portfolio at all times. But, you know, again, it's, it's sometimes you get busy and this can draw your attention to things that you may want to consider, may want to consider it, but the, the whole superficial loss rules, again, I mean, the, the, the ones that, that I see that I, I question, I watch people turn themselves into pretzels trying to get around this is the rule state that you can't sell something at a loss and reacquire it within the next 30 days. Otherwise it's considered a superficial loss and it's going to be, you're not allowed to claim it. And it's, you know, you or connected person like your, your, your spouse or something like that. So that's the rule is that they to prevent people from getting out of something for a short period of time and getting into it instead of a loss. But there's, you know, people get into, okay, well, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to buy something very similar to it. And they start to play in the gray area. I want to keep the same exposure. Like on one ETF to another ETF, you have the same exposure. Playing in the gray areas, you know, again, it can be dangerous and it can be, it can be caught. You can end up not having it. But at the end of the day, if you're doing that, it's really just a timing issue. Like if you claim a long stand, that means that and you acquire the investment for 30 days, you know, if you had a lower cost base, you're just going to pay that tax later. So again, it's a timing thing. It's not an actual, I'm going to pay less tax. It's just when I'm going to pay a trigger the tax for a particular investment. And they start doing the math on, okay, so it's just a timing thing. What's the true value of that? And it can, can get fairly small. So I've watched people, you've watched people, the market can move big in a couple of days or weeks. We've seen this happen in the last few weeks. There can be big moves that happen. And if you're trying to save a nickel, then you're, you're going down these strategies, portfolio moves a couple percent, or the holding moves a couple percent, eliminated any value you could have gotten. From, from the tax savings. And that's a very real risk as well. So, but there are opportunities yeah. to, for, from a planning perspective, like if a client has triggered a lot of, a lot of taxable income in a given year and driven themselves into a higher tax bracket, then you can go through and find some losses to maybe harvest in that year because of the tax situation applied in that year. Much much more about the tax plan, it can make sense then if it's again a difference in tax rates. But those those situations are, are fairly rare. Right. In my experience with planning, if you have a big income year or you're going into lower income years, you know, you have to face things a little bit more. Let me ask you a question on the on the pool structure that we use. Well, as far as you know, you know, I mean, I kind of have some of the answer, but how do you look at the the, the taxable you know, gains and losses inside the pool. I mean, we did have a brief conversation fairly recently about that. How much attention do we pay to it? And what have you seen other managers in the industry? How do they treat this issue? So I will answer that question, but I wanted to sort of push back on what you're talking about there. You, you said that you are not going to change your tax. But you actually could have a change in tax because what you followed to talk about was that tax rates change from year to year. So if you're deferring your, your capital gain, let's agree that your capital gain is going to be the same either way, whether you raise yep. it 
whether you realize the capital gain this year or next year or the year after. Let, let's agree that you're not changing the actual capital gain by making this decision. But you could be changing the tax that you pay on the capital gain. And that's what you were talking about when you're uh, discussing the changes in, in income. If you're at a high income for year one, you could be in a high tax bracket. And if you can have a reasonable expectation of being in a lower tax bracket in the future, then you could actually pay lower tax because of it. You just described it more eloquently than I did because I tried to say all that. And if you didn't understand me saying that, then I'm glad you jumped in and said it again because uh, that's what I was trying to get across. So that's that's on the individual basis. I, I, I got you, but I understand you. I don't know if everybody else does, right? I, and I, I do need an interpreter sometimes. <laughs> but to, to throw one more thing at, at you and our, our listeners is, there's still, a, even if you're going to pay the same tax today and the same tax in five years, for example, just to, to make up two dates, there's still a value of paying that tax five years from now rather than today. There's a value of deferral because that's more money in your pocket today that you can invest to compound for the next five years or however long it is until you realize that, uh, that, that capital gain and that tax bill. So agreed that you're starting to split hairs and and the margins are becoming smaller and smaller as we go along here like just the deferral is that valuable maybe or maybe not it's it's less valuable than deferring to a lower tax year but there's still value in it oh absolutely no you're right and you can calculate the value. you've had that conversation before you calculate the time value of paying taxes now versus five years now and you can quantify what that is but then you layer in the risk of the strategy. Am I going to be out of the market for a period of time? Am I going to you know, not be in an optimal investment strategy? Am I going to alter an otherwise solid investment strategy to be a little bit on kilted for sure. 30 days while this is going on? So then you weigh that risk versus the marginal gain that you make it. And then yeah. what I always do is a calculation is how much of a difference has to, does there have to be from an investment perspective to work that out? Yeah. You look at it and what's the probability. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a cost benefit thing, right? You, you can yeah. try to quantify the benefit that you're getting, but what are you giving up to, to get that benefit? And if you're selling what you think is an otherwise good investment an otherwise sound investment that it ha should have added value over time to potentially realize some modest tax savings over the next few years, then that's where you got to really stop and, and question yourself as to whether or not it makes sense. Well, that's that's how I'm pushing back at the world, right? Because yeah. you know, a lot of people say, you know, hey, you want to pay less tax? Absolutely. Like they don't even let the whole phrase come out in their in their end, and they never stop to do the math. Yeah. They never stop to quantify because everybody wants to save tax. Tax is evil, and it can be a false urgency. You know, and without diving into it a little bit, you may just be like running in circles and not really getting anywhere. It may make you feel good, and maybe that's. That's the payoff. You know, I feel good about this. Okay. Do you feel better? It's better than going out for a drink, maybe. But the people, in my opinion, are too quick yeah. to say, you know, hey, listen, we can save tax. It's pretty. And you don't ask a follow-up question. And you don't yeah. do the math. And you don't take a look at the risks of the strategy. Because that's boring. That's boring yeah. to do the math. It's boring to look at the risks. It's much more exciting to save tax. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so back to your question on what do we do with the pooled fund? So... We, we do that cost-benefit analysis is essentially what we're doing. We're looking at the costs of exiting a position. There's the, the actual 
literal cost is not that high. Like for us to exit a position, you know, we're talking about single dollars of the actual transaction costs, but it's really the opportunity cost. If you exit a position that you like and you're going into a position that you like slightly less just to get the tax benefit, again, you you have to look at the pros and cons, the costs and benefits of making that move to decide whether or not it makes sense. And I would say more often than not, if we're doing our job correctly, we already have the best possible investments in that portfolio. And again, more often than not, selling from the best possible investment to go into the second best or 10th best or whatever it is that is going to be, is it would really have to move the needle a lot on the tax side for us to try to, 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 to think about it. Well, this is boring. Way more exciting to say, let's save tax. But I guess that's my point. Yeah. And when you do the math on these things, it does change and understand the risks you're taking. And part of it is people assume that things are going to be level. And you know, the volatility we've seen, and the, you know, we've talked about it endlessly, the unknown volatility in the markets. Okay. And if you're looking, you're talking about one or two percentage point holes and the investment is going to wipe out the value of, of what's going on. That what are the chances you're going to see one or two percent holes in a relatively short period of time? It happens quite frequently, but it's you know, yeah, I guess from my standpoint, my advice to everybody is you know, paying less tax is good, but it's not as simple as I've got a lost position, I'm going to sell it. Because the other thing that we have to realize is that loss is only applicable to other cap investment capital gains, right? So if you trigger a loss, it can't reduce your T4 income. It's not going to reduce the taxes that you're going to pay uh, on, on your tax share. If it's inside your RSG or TFSA, it doesn't count. So we're only talking about investments that are just straight investment accounts. It's the only place this really matters. And, you know, it's so it's limited. You can carry it back three years. You can carry if it's lost, you can carry it back three years and carry it forward as long as you want. So again, unless you have a fairly dramatic difference in taxable income one year to the next, that is going to be to your benefit. That and that, when you do the math on that, then yes, that can change the, the probability of how much of an investment uh, compromise that you might be making. But it's you know again, it's, it's not a simple thing at all. You're looking up into the left. That really means you're thinking of a new thought of trash. Well, I'm actually looking out the window here at the person that's walking by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. But my, my, my wheels are turning all the time, Colin. You know yeah. that. So I know. Well, no, I, reading skills. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was just thinking that we often, and when I say we, investors often focus so much on this deferral, deferral, deferral that a lot of times they actually cause themselves a bigger problem because all of a sudden you deferred capital gains for you know 12 years and all of a sudden you want to sell a position and you're like, well, I really don't want to sell this position now because I have a massive capital gain all at one time. So this intent on deferral, if you trickle out your capital gains a little bit every year, that's not really such a bad thing because you're keeping your your income level at a modest, reasonable tax bracket, potentially. And all of a sudden, you could end up with a, a pretty significant challenge. I, I think this is a good problem to have, as we talk about all the time. It's a good problem to have to have a large capital gain, but it's a, 
it's a, a counterintuitive thought process to say, I'm not going to sell that position that I don't want to hold anymore just because I don't want to realize this capital gain. That's the other side of the coin. And I feel like we get in that situation way too often with people. Well, it's funny because you know this Josh is arguing with the Josh of about five minutes ago. So it's, it's really neat to watch it go full circle. You're <laughs> absolutely right. Because you know, you defer to a very good point that you create that larger tax bracket. I mean, you, you create that income at a higher tax bracket. And, and by the time you get into that stage, I will posit, I will argue that typically you're not in an optimal investment portfolio anymore. You have a legacy holding that worked out well for you and you just, just held onto it. And we see it all the time where we take a look at legacy holdings that, you know, over their lifetime, they made a lot of money, but they've dramatically underperformed in the most recent time period. You, know, yeah. you could have been way better off by being in something else and more balanced to over the last short time period. The human mind works like what pay 10 bucks for is now worth 200 bucks. Obviously that was good. It was like, it was, that you, <laughs> yeah. it was for the it first was. 10 years. You held it, you know, the last yeah. 10 years has been kind of shit. Yeah. You know, so, but again, it's how, how the mind works and it's boring. It is boring to do the work to dig into it, to figure out this may not be an optimal image. I want to make it, you know, it, you really annoy people when you, you start attacking and saying, yeah, you should, you should pay more tax. And I make the joke all the time. Listen, my job is to cause you the biggest possible tax bill. So if I'm really, really good at my job, you're going to pay a lot of tax. It's, it's to tell people there's two reasons you're not going to like me. I don't make you any money or you have to pay tax. Now you got to let me win. So either be happy that I didn't make you any money, you're not paying any tax or be happy that you're paying a lot of tax. Just, I, I need some way to win that conversation. You don't, life isn't fair, Colin. Sometimes you're just not, not going to be giving yeah, it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, but I've got a microphone and I'm going to make my case. Yeah. <laughs> we can keep asking. We can keep pleading <laughs> with people to let us win one way or the other, but some people are just going to say no. Yeah, I know. It's just it's, it's such as life. But no, I mean, have we covered all the angles that you can think of coming at this from Josh? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think we want to, coming back to the question you asked early on, where does tax rank in the hierarchy? I think we are just trying to maybe move it down a couple notches in that hierarchy of people's thinking uh, to, to a more appropriate level in, in your thought process when it comes to investing. Yeah. And again, we're, we're pushing back as we tend to do against uh, commonly held wisdom and some of the common messaging that's out there. And especially right now, because we're recording this at the end of November. So November, December is when a lot of the media is talking about, you know, tax loss selling and tax loss harvesting. And some of the major investment shops will be cleaning up their portfolio for the end of the year. They'll be doing all kinds of things. So it'll be very topical. So you're now prepared when you read a headline about tax loss selling or tax harvesting, you will now be critically aware of the nuances of the article that you may read. Wow, I'm proud of us, Josh. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog, as the there you go. way over you saying goes. Thanks for paying attention. Hope we didn't fall asleep. You're better prepared to go into the world and listen to people talk about tax loss selling. If we haven't covered something you want to cover, reach out. I'm sure we can offer an opinion. We may have to record another whole podcast and apologize for something that we didn't think to talk about. So we're open to your feedback. If you're breaking a sweat trying to figure out what your financial advisor is talking about, you're not getting the service you need. You probably hate trying to get an answer from them, but you also think moving your accounts will be a headache. 
and it might be. But working with DontRockTheBoatWealthPlanning.com or .ru isn't exactly stress-free, is it? Call us. We will demystify the world for you. Vericant Capital Management, Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in all of Canada except Manitoba. So sorry, Manitoba. Nothing in this podcast should be considered as a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell a particular security. Statements made by the portfolio managers are intended to illustrate their approach and are meant for information and entertainment purposes only. They should not be construed as legal, tax, or camping advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.